0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 11th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. National security looms large over trade policy, especially in the last four years. But national security justifications for trade restrictions more broadly go back still further. But it's no longer a good idea, if it ever was, to give the president a virtually impregnable justification for engaging in all manner of trade meddling. With almost no oversight. Cato's Inu Monarch and Scott Linsicum discuss what it might take to turn the tide. Inu, I want to start with you. How long and how extensive have uh, these national security justifications for trade restrictions uh, been?
1: So, Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act of 1962 has had a long history, uh, it's been in existence for 58 years. But in that 58-year existence, it's been used pretty rarely, actually. Uh, One oddity is what the Trump administration did with it. In just four years, uh, they used it a lot more than previous presidents have used it. To put in a bit of context, uh, in its 58-year existence, the Trump administration was responsible for 24 percent of all investigations ever done under this statute, uh, and 40 percent of all the positive findings that there was a national security threat. And they have undertaken 25 percent of all actions ever taken under this statute as well. So while Section 2 through 2 has been around for a long time, uh, President Trump certainly used and abused it more than his predecessors.
0: And Scott, when we say national security, or I should say when administrations use the term national security, when they're going to uh, engage in some sort of trade restriction,
2: what definition are they going by? Well, that's the problem, Caleb, because uh, there really is no definition of national security in the law. Um, It is clearly different from national defense. And in fact, Congress actually wedged into Section 232 um, this long paragraph about economic conditions and the rest. That combined with the law Um, the law's limited nature. It's a very short law. There's no, and there's very limited precedent, as you know, mentioned. Let's presidents essentially adopt any th- definition of national security. And in fact, um, there were some pretty humorous court cases a few years ago as, uh, companies and individuals challenged, uh, President Trump's steel tariffs. And, uh, the judges at the Court of International Trade were, were pretty skeptical of how much power the Trump administration was wielding. And they actually asked the Department of Justice, well, could, Uh, the courts review a presidential determination that peanut butter is a national security threat, uh, peanut butter imports, to which DOJ mumbled and eventually conceded that no, the courts had no control over a presidential determination that peanut butter imports um, were a national security threat. And that really, I think, gets to the nut no pun intended, of the problem um, that essentially anything at any time can be deemed a national security threat for any reason.
0: So does this apply just to peanut butter or any legume based butter?
2: Um, I think almond butter would also apply. You know, we get into a very, um, very difficult area, Caleb, when we start calling things butters that aren't butters, right? You know, next thing you know, the nut lobby is going to be on us.
0: (laughs) Or milk, for that matter. Exactly. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that the the Trump administration had made extensive use of this, Um, you know, and Congress doesn't seem to be too interested in making uh, big changes and courts for their part. If it has national security in it, they seem to be – they're generally pretty hands-off.
1: That's absolutely right. You know, the courts have not really uh, taken a lot of action on this uh, issue and kind of steered away from it a little bit uh, to give Congress the ability to take some action. And Congress hasn't really done very much, if anything at all. I mean, if you look back to last year, there were some bills under consideration for how we would rein in presidential authority under the statute, and none of them came to fruition. So what we're left with is Congress not really acting at all. uh, And then the president being allowed to do whatever he wants uh, in this context so it's left open this big question about what's going to happen to this statute in the future under the biden administration what's going to happen with the one case that's not yet resolved uh, that got hung over from the trump administration and then what does this mean in terms of how we think about national security and trade I mean it raises some really fundamental questions about who is actually allowed to make these decisions on the behalf of the American people
2: yeah and, and I I think uh, I think Inu really raises a, a, an important point that um, just so everybody understands, Congress and Congress alone has plenary power over trade and tariff authority, and Congress delegated that power to the President via Section Two Thirty Two and in other trade statutes. Um, the problem with that delegation, leaving aside the ambiguity in the law and all of the discretion procedural stuff that we'll get to, um, the it raises a really fundamental flaw in the system, in that Congress can't now take back that power without a veto-proof majority, because of course, what president, at least at President Trump and the ones using these tariff powers, are going to say, "Okay, you got me, Congress. Uh, go ahead and hear it is back." So, so one of the things that confounded any Section Two Thirty Two reform efforts were was the simple fact that that the Senate and House they were going to need a veto-proof majority to do it, which of course, in this political environment, is a Essentially impossible. Trump, of course, knew this and, and thus um, abused the law uh, repeatedly throughout his tenure.
0: So how do we expect the Biden administration to use this power? Uh, Scott, you and I spoke recently, and it seems that the Biden administration has been fairly slow, yeah. if not uh, moving at a glacial pace to undo a lot of the trade restrictions yeah. that the Trump administration put in place. And because they are Uh, these are powers that uh, the president has been delegated by Congress,
2: Joe Biden could simply undo them. He could. Uh, Now, this the, the Biden administration, I will give them a little benefit of the doubt in that we are still very early on and uh, in in the administration's term um they have promised and repeatedly promised an actual review of the tariffs so a lot of the stuff we're hearing right now it's it's unclear if that's actually going to be policy or if it's just simply you know speaking at a a, a confirmation hearing where you're trying to get a bunch of senators to agree with you and so you know that you you, you say a bunch of vague stuff and then wait for the review to be completed so but that said yeah, I mean these things are sitting out there. There has been a du- a ton of evidence on the economic costs they've imposed, on their failure to really boost the steel and aluminum industries um, by the administration's own metrics. Um, you know, if you look at capacity utilization in the industry, you look at global steel overcapacity, all of the things that that were supposedly the grounds for these tariffs. They they really haven't uh, achieved those goals, um, and so you know they they are. They're pretty much, you know, abject failures, but they also, like many government programs, um, have created constituencies to support these and very politically powerful ones in that. Um, And that, of course, is the United States Steelworkers Union, um, several steel companies, some aluminum companies, these big smelters. That are located, of course, in politically powerful uh, and important states, uh, primarily, you know, the industrial Midwest, um, and so that creates a very difficult political problem for the Biden administration. That even if they want to remove these things, they have to deal with the political ramifications of doing so, especially given Biden's longstanding alliances with uh, labor unions um, and, you know, his kind of uh, Rust Belt. Uh, um, Mystique of sorts, so that's tough. Um, and then I think the other thing is, uh, the administration has to be looking at these tools as how they can use them uh, to to advance their own agenda. And there is some concern, I think, very legitimate that to the extent that a full-scale climate bill can't get through Congress, um, as bills tend to die there a lot, um, the Biden administration might say, well, look, we have Section 232. We can use Section 232 to impose tariffs on um, carbon-emitting nations like China or India. Um, We can, through what we call carbon tariffs, um, or we can use Section 232 to initiate negotiations, um, because the allow." Law allows for that, so kind of bilateral negotiations. And oh, by the way, we don't need Congress's input for any of this. So there really is, I think, going to be a temptation for the Biden administration to use 232 to advance their own uh, agenda. And of course, what can Republicans say? You know, it's the old classic 1980s PSA. You know, who taught you how to do this stuff? I well, I learned it from watching you. And so it'll be very difficult, I think, to push for, for Republicans to push back on any of it.
0: Okay, well, uh, Inu, give me a little bit of hope here. If I'm, let's assume I'm for the moment, I am a uh, Republican member of Congress who has recently rubbed his eyes and realized that free trade is, in fact, uh, generally a good thing, um, notwithstanding the last four years. Uh, and uh, we, I want to push back against this and uh, rein in the powers of an unwieldy executive branch. Uh, And in particular, on the prevent when the executive branch has the power unilaterally to prevent my district, the people in my district from uh, buying the goods and services that they want from the bounty of the planet.
1: I think, you know, Republicans have an incentive now, uh, perhaps more under and under the Trump administration, to do something about this simply because they're not the ones in power. Uh, And the things that the Biden administration might do may not be things that they like, Uh, but they should be thinking more broadly about this. This is about making sure that the president can't just willy nilly do whatever he wants with this statute. And that's a huge problem uh, when we think about how we impose these these tariffs and other restrictions. Uh, Short of of repealing Section 232, which we should be doing, by the way. This is an easy way to deal with it. There are other laws that uh, protect us and, and deal with national security threats from trade, and we don't need 232. Uh, this is just something that you know we can conceal, certainly kind of live without. But if there's no appetite, to repeal Section 232 in Congress, there are some second best options that I think would be something we can get some consensus on. For example, coming up with a resolution for approval. So if the president decides to take an action to impose tariffs, that would have to be approved by Congress by an affirmative vote. Now, this would slow down the process of how the president's able to you know, take action in short notice, which he has done in the past, uh, but and also make sure that Congress has ultimate authority to decide whether or not this is an okay action to take and whether it meets the criteria that are listed in the statute uh, for a real national security threat. Um, Other things they could do, provide for judicial review, uh, push for that. You know, a lot of what's happened uh, in the last four years has been a refusal to really, uh, really look and review the president's authority, his statutory powers. Uh, so unless Congress expressly calls for such a review, uh, that's not going to happen. So we should really have something like that as well. And then narrowing what national security constitutes. This is something that Congress can do by making a change to the law uh, and really spelling out what is a national security threat Because right now, automobiles were a threat. Steel and aluminum were a threat. Vanadium, have you heard of that? That's a threat too. Everything's a threat if you can make it one. And this is a huge issue that I think Congress has the authority to make some changes for and to make this a much more transparent law where there's accountability for all the actions that the president takes. Yeah. And I think, you know, leaving
2: aside the economics, so let's let's just assume for a second that, that you know, we haven't had all of this great evidence, uh, unfortunate great evidence over the last four years that, that these tariffs have not worked. Leaving that aside, Um, There is a really strong argument just from the perspective of good government and good law. Um, You know, one of the other things that Section 232 uh, does or really doesn't do is provide any sort of procedural limitations on um, how the executive branch can come about making these determinations of national security threats and then imposing tariffs or other restrictions. Um, They can... And because of that, um, we... Ended up in the autos case, for example, with a secret report, a report that has never actually been published, um, that that found that automobiles, your Ford Festivas, um, your BMWs from Germany um, are a national security threat, um, imperiling the livelihoods of millions of people in, you know, auto dealerships, foreign auto plants here in the United States, so forth and so on. And they could not ever even see the allegations made against them. As as the leader of the international auto dealers once said, um, you know, if if, if my members and my livelihood are deemed a national security threat, the least you could do is let me see the grounds for that, right? No, that report has remained secret. Um, And so even if you leave aside these kind of uh, the economic issues and the tariff issues. Um, there really is a a case for narrowing this authority just to prevent the type of um, abuse, and it's clearly abuse that the Trump administration engaged in, and that the law, quite frankly, allows for. Um, and you know, to the extent that Congress does that in any way, still jealously guard their their powers um, and their constitutional authorities, you would think that they would ha- have some motivation here regardless again of the the economics and i should just add on that autos report congress even passed a law compelling the trump administration to publish this report which the trump administration ignored citing executive privilege uh, because they were supposedly undertaking negotiations as allowed for under the law with Europe and Japan and the rest. And so this is, um, I think, a really good reason for why this law needs to be jettisoned, Um, and if not jettisoned, really uh, reformed dramatically, because it it just allows for um, a a lot of ridiculous and pernicious uh, abuse to kind of advance the president's whims.
0: Inu Manik is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Scott Linsicum is a senior fellow. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.